you lose your I train trying, of thought. I, I was trying <laughs> to think of how many we would have to do, but I'm. it's late and my brain doesn't want to do math right now. Yeah, I... I no. That was that was me staring off into the distance, <laughs> staring off into the distance. But before we were talking about math and how tired we were, we were talking about um, oh you you started watching well listening to movies at work. Yes, and you were watch you watched Monsters Inc. and we were talking about how our generation still wants the sequel to find out what happened. Yes. Also, I just have to say it sounds really bad to say that I'm watching movies at work. I just put them on my phone, and then I set it off to the side. I'm working. Bob, if you hear this, I'm working. Um, But yeah, Monsters, Inc. was always my favorite as a kid. I don't even like children, but Boo is just the cutest thing. And at the end, he opens the door, and she's there. And what have we gotten since then? Nothing. Yeah. It's upsetting. I'm very passionate about this. Well, we got Mike as a disco ball, but... And I haven't seen that. It's not much of a consolation. Yeah. I saw somebody, like, on a DeviantArt or Tumblr thing, did a crossover of Monsters, Inc. with somebody else to give, like, an like a fan theory about what could have happened. Oh, really? Me. And I loved it, yeah. Hmm. yeah. It was really cool. I mean, it's, oh, it's the second movie in Disney where they have magic doors, too. Oh, so, I mean, that's true. you could make a link to Nightmare Before Christmas and the Spiral Hill Forest, too. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, but yeah. the f- the fan theories that they come up with and the artwork that they do are always really awesome. Yeah, that's true. What about you? You said you were watching... I feel very adulty in comparison to you. <laughs> yeah, I fin... Okay, so I'm trying to th- figure out... What did we watch? What did we watch last week? Last week you watched Orange is the New Black. I was rewatching Coven. And I finished Mindhunter. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, I finished the um, Haunting of Hill House. Yes, finally. Which was crazy well done and really had me tied up in knots a lot more than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Much more of an emotional investment in that show than in, more, in most horror things that I've watched. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to be doing with the second one because whatever they come up with, it, I feel confident that it's going to be just as good. Me too. Definitely. And it's a lot of the same actors and I liked yeah, Pretty I did much too. All of them. I really did. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of neat to see them pull like a, an AHS kind of thing where yeah. they use the same actors, but you know, new personalities and new stories, stories for yeah. each of them. Agreed. Yeah. So I finished that, and then I watched the um, Netflix Zac Efron Ted Bundy show. Right. It has a really long title that I think. It was part of what the judge said in his, like, closing statement for the case against Bundy in a way that he described him as, like, this vile person lacking of humanity. And it's a good quote in the show, but it makes it a really difficult title, and I can never Extremely wicked and something-something. Something vile, yeah. yeah. It's really long. And it was actually really good. It was from a really different perspective from everything else that I've ever read about him because it's from his longtime girlfriend Mm -hmm. and she didn't believe it for the longest time. So you're really seeing it from this angle where, you know, I was kind of out of it from being homesick and everything, but I found myself going, 
what evidence did they have? You know, because you're seeing it from this perspective where they're scrutinizing it a lot more. And um, so then I just had tons of questions and I wanted to know how accurate it was. And I went on to watch the Netflix docu-series about him. I think there were six parts. Mm -hmm. And that answered a lot of questions. So I would definitely recommend it as a follow-up. I liked doing it after watching the remake just to... (laughs) um, this week's suggestions disney plus and ted bundy (laughs) yeah information (laughs) yeah that's definitely it that's us right there we like the range of things we enjoy oh Oh, yeah yeah. oh okay yeah i was like you like creepy stuff too don't oh yeah in here oh no oh and i think i finished something else but now i can't quite remember what it was i don't know i started watching murder maps again if you like um true crime and british stuff and english accents and you enjoy like the victorian aesthetic it's very slow if you're not like a big fan of that but they plot out these maps this map with the different murders that they talk about Mm -hmm. in london and they're narrated and then reenacted really well and it's just like my go-to true crime thing that i leave on in the background Mm. i like it more than like forensic files in the background the i find the the accents and their diction, the way that they've put these stories together is kind of soothing. Is that, that probably sounds weird, but it's, I get it though. Yeah. Yeah. Like listening to a good audio book, you can kind of just like relax and, you know, get into the story. Yeah. Which is, this is all of this. Well, your monsters Inc. and my Ted Bundy stuff are a far cry from the topics that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. We took a, a swing on this we did swing. yeah it took it was, a turn it's still odd it's still weird yeah we learned a lot of interesting stuff but it was definitely out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. research is usually i try to go to dot org and dot net and look through museums and archives and libraries but when you're talking about things like the bermuda triangle a lot of our resources came from kind of sketchy sources because mm-hmm. they're legends and lore and but we put it together, and I think we did it justice. So do you want to... Should we get started? Yeah. So I've loved weird things all my life. I was that kid in elementary school who checked out books on things like Bigfoot and UFO. I can still vividly remember the library cobbles when I was when I was there. And checking out these books. I mean, Nessie, too. And I remember sneaking in episodes of the X-Files at a certain age, even though I wasn't supposed to watch it. <laughs> I mean, that's how long I've loved Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard yeah. was in the X-Files? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's, like, in freaking everything. But, yeah, that's my earliest, like, version of him. He was... He's great in everything that he does. So, yeah, they gave me nightmares sometimes. But it was always worth it because the X-Files was so... I think it was more of, like, a our generation's, like, Twilight Zone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It really just pulled you into these different stories. And so I've always had odd and strange and weird tidbits of information to contribute to conversations. And all of our episodes until this point had topics, like I said, that were in my comfort zone. And this one... Um, 
this one really wasn't, but it really surprised me, and I'm actually kind of geekily excited to be able to share it. So this episode's a bit different, um, but it's in a good way, and we learned a little bit more than normal this time because we were out of our comfort zone. You mm-hmm. know, some of the arsenic tales I could recall to you by memory because I've read right. them so much, but this kind of stuff, it was all brand new. So without any further ado, Kale's gonna start us off. Let's get down to it to defeat the huns no i'm just kidding this week's episode starts with Let's a triangle down to business. that's where my head went immediately i love mulan keep going disney started with a triangle the bermuda triangle as you said we've all heard of it it's a household name it's right up there with the bigfoot ufo and area 51 mm-hmm. which storming was not so much storming how many people ended up showing up? Wasn't it only like 50-something? <laughs> That's just embarrassing. Was it really? Oh my yeah. gosh, there were like what? Like I want to say something ridiculous. Like hundreds of thousands yeah. of people that had RSVP'd to it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Very disappointing. That's... I wanted some drama. We need a mug that says I survived right. the storming of Area 51. Area 51. Oh, and we can't forget Nessie, yeah. of course. The Bermuda Triangle has been around forever, or has it? I mean, National Enquirer would say yes. I yeah. <laughs> specifically remember growing up seeing articles about stuff like that, so... Yeah, me too. Also known as the Devil's Triangle, which I think sounds a lot oh, cooler. Boom, boom. Yeah, definitely. The Bermuda Triangle is known as an area that has suffered many unexplained losses of people, artifacts, and boats. Over time, people have attributed these losses to an otherworldly cl- cause blaming the disappearances on supernatural forces. There are many incidents and stories associated with this aquatic area, but a few of them really stick out more than the rest. I love local lore that stems mm-hmm. from natural phenomenon. I find it just so fascinating how we ingrain it into our culture. So, so first we have the USS Cyclops, dope name, which was lost at sea in 1918. The 540-foot naval vessel left Brazil carrying 10,000 tons of, oh, Lord. Manganese ore. Manganese ore. Stopped in Barbados to resupply and was never seen or heard from again. The ship and all traces of it, as well as the 309 passengers, just vanished. A search was conducted, but no traces of the vessel remained. And to date, this disappearance was the greatest loss of life outside of war in naval history. Yeah, that's not something we really learn about. Yeah, like, no. I read a, um, a Ruta Serptis Salt to Sea, One Salt Sea, I think it's called, was a book. It's a YA book that was released, I want to say, a couple years ago now. And it's the story of a the largest maritime disaster in history Mm -hmm. um and no one has ever heard of it because it wasn't it didn't gain coverage like titanic and it wasn't associated with like a war you know where history kind of keeps the stories alive and everything Mm -hmm. so but the next we have the ss marine sulfur queen (laughs) which at first i was like that's a horrible but it really kind of i don't know it's growing on me sulfur queen is kind of I'm picturing, like, Dancing Queen, I'm but Sulphur like Queen. like an exorcist that strips at a club for extra money. Like, Oh. I dig. Okay. I don't know. Two different brains. 
Yeah, definitely. So this one, this vessel went missing in 1963. The tanker filled up with 15,000 tons of molten sulfur in Texas and left port headed for Virginia. A search was started for the ship, and unlike the prior story, they did find evidence. But it was just pieces of debris, like parts of a raft, a life vest, and the parts of an oar. But there were no traces of the ship itself. And then finally, we have the Avengers. Not those Avengers, because we can't afford them. Definitely we can't afford not. to get sued. No. Nope. But this is the very short story of the U.S. Navy Avengers flight and how it helped contribute to the legends. In 1945, five Avenger torpedo bombers left the base to perform a routine flying exercise. They were to fly a total of 190 miles, turn around, and come back home. But less than two hours later, the leader contacted the local tower, stating that he was confused and disoriented. A second call came in 20 minutes later, similar to the first, and then nothing. It disappeared without a trace. Two planes were sent to the last location the original five were pegged at, and then they, too, were never seen or heard from again. For five days, they searched, and they searched, and they searched until they covered 250,000 square miles of ocean, yet they walked away completely empty-handed. Spooky. In the past, some of these occurrences were blamed on sea monsters. In fact, some scholars believe that Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, is based on a true story of a shipwreck in Bermuda. As popularity caught on in the 20th century, theories about aliens and outer space entities became common. Not surprising. Yeah. Back in the era of X-Files, alien stuff Mm -hmm. was the big thing. So it's generally accepted that the Bermuda Triangle has apexes in or around Bermuda, Florida, and Puerto Rico, but they're more like approximate points instead of exact coordinates. And there are even instances of people, like articles that I've read, where the triangles nearly double the size and now two of the apexes are farther up the East Coast. Mm -hmm. But I think that's... You know, they're just stretching it a little bit too much. But because of this, the estimated size of the triangle, our original one, the smaller one, it varies, but it's estimated at a size of 500,000 to 1,500,000 square miles. Square miles. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Not feet. So for some comparison... That smaller estimate is roughly the size of Alaska. If we want a comparison for the far end of the estimated size, we have to combine the nine largest states in the U.S. Yeah. Alaska, Texas, California, Montana, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, and Wyoming. I can't even picture that in my head. I did it the opposite way, too. And if I remember correctly, I started at the smallest to see how many of the states starting at the smallest we could squeeze in. And it was like 38 out of the 52 states. That's how large this is. So I'm geographically challenged. I'm pretty sure it's genetic. But no matter how hard I try, I suck at directions and navigating and estimating distances. So that just <laughs> is just a horrible combination. So what this also means is that um, as grand as that comparison was, I can't quite grasp it a lot. Oh, yeah. And there's in the script where I say that, uh, you know, <laughs> I, it was. It was the 38 smallest states could fit inside the Bermuda Triangle. That's crazy. I can't is, picture either of them, but 
it blows my mind thinking about it. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, Alaska is gigantic, but it's not something that I usually see in my mind when I conjure up an image of the United States because I see the continental U.S., not right. Hawaii and Alaska. Mm. So it's hard for me to compare Alaska in size to anything. Yeah, that's true. So the larger the area, the more opportunities for disappearances, or so it seemed. Stories and legends about the Bermuda Triangle were particularly popular in the 70s. There were many books, shows, and movies that were made based on the Bermuda Triangle, including a 1974 documentary narrated by the Vincent Price. I've never seen it, but I kind of want to now. Right? Horror icon. The producers of the film even offered a reward for anyone who could solve the mystery of the triangle, but spoiler alert, nobody could. But according to the Naval Historical Center, that's because there is no mystery. None? None. This area of the ocean, colloquially, did I say that right? Sort of. Oh my god. You're good. Just keep no, going. say it. Colloquially. Yeah, referred to as the Bermuda Triangle is not an officially recognized location. That's because it's considered fantasy, an imaginary area. Their words, too. Yeah. But how? Why? Everyone knows the Bermuda Triangle and how eerie its reputation is. How the first person to sail around the world solo disappeared on his subsequent trip from Massachusetts to South America. So what the fuck is going on with the Bermuda Triangle? Let's start at the beginning. Despite what the urban legends say... The Bermuda Triangle was not an official thing until 1964, when the nickname was coined by a writer. I see. I grew up thinking that it had been around for forever. Forever, yeah. That was just its name. Yeah, Yeah. it it was well established. Everyone knew the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And sure, there were accounts of eerie things happening in the area before 1964, but they weren't attributed to the presence that the water seems to have when being referred to by name. It takes on like this like eerie kind of doom and gloom kind of feeling Mm -hmm. so the bermuda triangle is only 54 got it but what about the disappearances regardless of whether that specific part of the ocean has a name or not dozens of people have indeed gone missing over the years so what's the deal the reality is that it's not the disappearances that are bizarre it's the ocean itself or at least that specific part of it and despite the people and planes and ships that have disappeared, the area is not considered a hazardous area. In fact, according to the U.S. Coast Guard, there has been nothing discovered that would indicate that casualties were the result of anything other than physical causes. No extraordinary factors have ever been identified. Speaking of, it makes me wonder if they would consider the popularity of the Bermuda Triangle... What? Sorry, this is a point where I find some kind of error in my own script. (laughs) So it seems pretty extraordinary that the Bermuda Triangle was a setting for shows like Wonder Woman, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. Scooby-Doo, which I should have known. It was the theme of a Milton Bradley board game. Didn't know that either. It was featured in the classic movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind and was even a song by Fleetwood Mac. It was very creatively named... The Bermuda Triangle. I knew that one. I love Fleetwood Mac, but yeah, not very creative. So let's get to the bottom of this. There are a few natural phenomena and some neat things that occur inside this area that we consider the Bermuda Triangle, including magnetic. Oh my God, Meg. Why do you do this to me? (laughs) Magnetic. What is it? Declination. Declination. Okay. 
treacherous weather, the Gulf Stream, water spouts. I read that water sprouts first. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> Underwater earthquakes and human error, which is natural but not neat. So let's start with the magnetic declination, which isn't as intimidating as it sounds. It sounds really scary. It yeah, it does. Like tectonic plates or something. Yeah. So across the globe, minus two places, there's only two of them, a compass subtly points to magnetic north. But in these two places, the compass points to true north. And the difference between these two readings is called that magnetic declination. And it's an important factor for pilots and captains and our story. Because the difference in readings can vary by up to 20 degrees, it's necessary to take it into account when you're charting your course. Failure to do so is thought to have played a role in the disappearance of many pilots. In fact, the flight instructor from Flight 19, the same person who called in to report the compass being broken, was lost for the third time now. So it was his third time getting lost. And if the reports are true... The other four pilots flying with them were newbies, and it's speculated that they would not be familiar with this magnetic phenomenon. Without a sense of direction, the pilots likely flew until the plane ran out of fuel. There are accounts of uh, multiple pilots um, being heard over the radio saying that they didn't need help anymore, that they thought they knew where they were, that they thought they were over Florida, but... They weren't Mm. even close. Like, very disorienting, it sounds like. Spooky. And then, so as for the weather, the Gulf Stream and water spouts, they offer what we would consider some of the most realistic answers to the Bermuda Triangle mystery. Because that's what it really is. A combination of things and not just one single cause. Tropical storms and hurricanes pass through the area regularly. The Gulf Stream, which borders the west side of the Triangle, is an incredibly strong underwater current that can reach speeds of roughly 4.5 to 5.5 miles per hour, which really doesn't sound very fast, but if ships don't take the underwater current into account, they're really easily swept off course. And then you have the water spouts, which are basically like wet tornadoes. It's a twister at sea that pulls ocean water into itself. So, Sharknado is really a shark spout. (laughs) Not a great name, (laughs) but makes you wonder if that's how they came up with the idea for it. Yeah. It is sci-fi, after all. Siffy. Siffy. Yes. (laughs) And whatever the inspiration was, the franchise managed to be so successful that they had six movies, a video game, and a comic series. Yeah. Six movies. They probably have merch out there, too, like Sharknado Christmas ornaments and stuff like that. And then, if this isn't enough to convince you, let's not forget the underwater earthquakes, which I momentarily forgot about, that lapse in, you know thought from biology and geology classes in high school until 30 years old like oh (laughs) oh, fuck there's earthquakes underground or underwater so seismic activity has been found in the bermuda triangle and in 1817 a quake measuring 7.4 on the richter scale took place and apparently caused a tsunami which then went on to push ships so far off track that some wound up as far as pennsylvania wow that's crazy yeah and then we have human error like not reading the compass correctly the legends tell a compelling story but they leave out a lot like spoilers and the truth and common sense 
This triangular area between the East Coast, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico is one of the most highly trafficked areas in the ocean. And no matter where you are, whether on land or sea, the more people that are there, the more accidents will be. Like a highway. Right. Some accidents reported as casualties of the Bermuda Triangle didn't actually occur near it. Multiple vessels that went missing never radioed in for help or expressed distress of any kind. The SS Marine Sulphur Queen, we talked about earlier, was known to be in a state of disrepair and had been suffering from fires on board. And we also have fake news. Reporters writing articles without fact-checking details and consumers reading the articles and taking them to heart instead of verifying information. A very common practice today. not just a modern thing. Right. Each of these mistakes on their own don't account to much, but together with the other factors, they really paint a truer picture of the Devil's Triangle. Some of the deepest trenches in the world exist inside the Bermuda Triangle, like the Puerto Rico Trench, which measures 5.2 miles down. It's easy to imagine that many of the missing plates... Plates? <laughs> there might missing be some plates, plates there. yeah. Missing planes and boats that sunk probably ended up at the bottom of one of the trenches. It's a deep-sea vessel graveyard, and it's such an interesting thing to think about for a couple reasons. First, scientists are constantly finding new and previously thought to be extinct types of animals. We really don't know what lives at the bottom of most parts of the oceans because we don't have the technology to travel there yet. The and future is in the hands of James Cameron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? His one person submarine. <laughs> the idea of like what could be down there is just so scary to me. I... I actually, it doesn't scare me as much because I don't have any plans to actually go there, but I just love when they discover new animals and species and find things that they thought were previously extinct. And Mm -hmm. there's a popular kid show on Netflix right now called The Deep that's based off of a graphic novel series. It's a Mm. kid show and it's this family that's adventurers and they have this like multi-billion dollar submarine that they cruise around the world and they hunt treasure and help protect animals and it's it's actually really well done and they deal with like trenches a lot and there was an episode not that long ago where they were in a trench and they showed like all the bioluminescence that was down there and I think it's just like Mm. the prettiest thing in the world. That's cool. It's like almost like an aurora borealis, but in the ocean. Hmm. So I think it was actually you that originally alerted me to the, the existence of the blobfish. I think so. It was that that creepy picture where he looks like a plato, or he looks like a potato made out of silly putty that's melted. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, so creepy. That's Mister Blobby, and he was only discovered sixteen years ago. So that's what they named the first blobfish in 2003 and then the world it doesn't definitely doesn't rank up there with like the Bodie McBoderson yes oh my gosh David Plowey so it's now one of the world's ugliest creatures that looks like a gelatinous Mm -hmm. goopy mass unless you look up the pictures of the blobfish in the water because they live in the deepest seas the pressure is incredibly more extreme down there and that's what gives the blobfish its shape i did not know that isn't that so crazy i don't think i've even seen one in the water they look normal that's crazy wow now i want to google that so another interesting thing about these deep sea vessel graveyards which is just so fun to say (laughs) um we know a small portion of the ships and planes lost to the seas inside the triangle 
but it's not complete, and none of the disappearance stories used as research for this article mentioned items lost or gave inventory. Knowing this, there could be anything down there. A pony? A pony. What was the other one? No, from Hell House. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Granted, the stuff might not be in great shape. I'm not sure how the deep sea pressures would fuck with metal ships and planes, let alone treasures and trinkets. I did ask Seth. He said that most things at a depth like that or deeper would implode, or what's more likely is that the pressure would locate the weak points and the vessel would buckle. Oh. So there probably will be some wrecks down there for us to plunder Hmm. at some point in history. Cool. The Bermuda Triangle may not give us any answers, so it's a good thing that it's not the only mysterious triangle we have to talk about. Bum, bum, bum. Comprised of five lakes. Oh, God. Superior. Oh, man. I feel like I'm back in school. (laughs) How do you say that one? Huron, yeah. Michigan, Ontario, and Erie. This system is the largest body of freshwater on Earth. The Great Lakes version of the Bermuda Triangle lives in Lake Michigan, with two apexes in Michigan and one Wisconsin. Does it need to apply for, like, dual residency? Right. So the Great Lakes played a pivotal role in the lives of colonists looking to explore and settle out west, and it also served as a network for trading. The first known ship to set sail on the Great Lakes, a.k.a. the first white explorer to record it, was a vessel by the name of Le Griffon. Griffin. It's Le Griffin. I'm just not going to try. So it left port in 1679 and completely vanished, never to be seen again. And I mean, these lakes aren't anywhere in comparison to Mm -hmm. the Bermuda Triangle. They, you know, comprise a relatively small portion in comparison. Right. But... Then in 1921, and this is just one more example, the Rose of Bell was found upside down, floating in the middle of the Michigan River, completely empty. All 11 passengers had disappeared, and no traces of the men were ever found. And then there's the story of George Donner, a ship captain who disappeared overnight from his locked room. In April 1937, one of the crew came to... came to week came to wake the sleeping <laughs> captain only to find his room completely empty and locked from the inside they were unable to find any traces of the man and he was never seen of seen or heard of again that's crazy which is it sounds like uh, the plot to a escape room movie yeah it does but not everything that happens in the michigan lake triangle is related to disappearances of people and ships Much like the Bermuda Triangle, all sorts of mysterious and seemingly supernatural things have been reported. Strange lights, rumors of UFOs, and whispers of alien involvement, and some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey theories to boot, like it having portals and black holes and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then in a 2007 discovery by an underwater archaeologist just adds the supernatural lore of the triangle because what he found was a 40-foot ring of large ancient stones that have since earned the nickname as America's Stonehenge, Hmm. which I had no idea about that. It's really cool. I do not recommend kissing that Blarney stone, though. It's probably really gross. (laughs) While we might not have the technology to dive to the deepest depths of the ocean to recover treasures, we do have enough technology to recover discoveries in Lake Michigan, or any Great Lake for that matter. Not too long ago, in 2008, researchers discovered the HMS Ontario, a vessel that sank back in the 
1789 during the Revolutionary War, which is both awesome but also unsurprising. In the 340 years that we have been keeping records, more than 6,000 ships have gone missing from the Great Lakes. It seems likely that some boats and planes probably caught fire, exploded, or were otherwise ruined, and wouldn't leave much, if any, traces to be found. But that being said, there could be hundreds, even thousands of wrecks remaining, remaining hanging out on the lake floor just waiting to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Didn't they just recently, I think I saw this in the news, discover a sunken ship that had, like, barrels of oil? old scotch in it or something oh, like that that would be an awesome mm, find yeah if it's wrecks and salvages and treasure that we're looking for we need to turn to a different aquatic area this one is not a triangle but it might be the best one yet on the outer banks of north carolina in the atlantic ocean there's a string of islands that stretch 130 miles down the coast seven islands comprise this thin tract of land why do I keep I getting all these I things? I didn't do this on purpose. I don't know how to pronounce these either. So you can try or you can skip it. Ocracoke. <laughs> I think that's correct, but that's so, <laughs> that sounds so silly. Heteris P, like the vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> just to add that in you there. Just <laughs> Roanoke, Bodie, mm-hmm. Shackleford, and Monkey. Because why not? I think they were drunk when they made right? these. It's this area that is known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Oh a pretty cool name for I such names. I love that one. It should be a Monkey, band. Right? What now serves as a popular vacation destination for families was once home to Blackbeard and his pirating and plundering. So all those tiny islands, along with the lagoons and coves they offered, made the perfect home base for a pirate and his treasure. As seen in Peter Pan. We all know this. Mm-hmm. According to the rumors, Blackbeard hid his treasure somewhere in or around those tiny islands. He was killed in 1718 and took the location to his grave. He he w- he had 25 wounds and 5 bullet holes, I believe, before he finally succumbed. And oh my died. gosh. It it was absolutely crazy. So, one person's trash might be another person's treasure, but there's treasure, and then there's treasure, like the treasure of El Salvador, which was lost on a ship by the same name. This vessel was one of six ships loaded with a cache of Spanish gold and silver that set sail for Central America. All the vessels encountered issues on their journey, with some barely making it to shore, and others getting stuck on the sand in the shallow water. The El Salvador, however, was never found or recovered, and neither was the treasure. Hmm. Before we knew him as Blackbeard, his name was Edward Teach. I know why he changed his name. Right. Not very piratey. (laughs) And before he became a famous renegade pirate, Teach was a legal pirate, working as a privateer for the English. And what that means is that he and his ship can and did engage in maritime warfare as a private citizen, but on behalf of the government. He ditched the law, changed his name, fittingly, and was captain of the Queen Anne's Revenge. And I think, I might be wrong, but in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the British ships that are always after Jack, I believe those were privateers. I think, yeah, that sounds right. To give an example. Mm -hmm. 
So, while Blackbeard is arguably the most popular pirate in history, he was far from the only one. In fact, following the colonist settlement of the East Coast, bankers took to the area. These land pirates, as they were sometimes called, would scour the beaches, gathering up items that had washed ashore from shipwrecks, and selling them. And then there were the banker horses, which were living cargo that crashed in the graveyard and washed, or in this case, walked, onto the shore. These shipwrecked animals, which also included goats and chicken, have over 150 miles of wilderness that they got to live in. And over time, their population grew and prospered, and it sometimes they lucked out and had new horses to breed with from different countries that had shipwrecked cargo. Mm-hmm. And some farms in the area used those horses for manual field work. And this is the, the coolest part to me was when I learned that recent genetic testing proved that the modern banker horses that are there today are direct descendants of the Spanish Mustangs. That's cool. It's science, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me again. Some of the more valuable items that are noted as having washed up besides livestock were fine material, I assume after they dried it, barrels of wine and liquor, that would be awesome, and Mm. artwork. There were also the mariners who were stranded in this isle, and some of whom chose to stay and put down roots, salvaging and starting families. And many local buildings in the area were made in part or entirely from salvaged materials. You can actually look it up on Google and see Hmm. these buildings that were made, and there's a museum there, too. Oh, that's awesome. Today, some wrecks can be seen during low tide, and then they disappear again when the sand and water fill them in. And some can only be found after a storm, which moves or removes masses of sand from the beach to reveal a wreck underneath. That seems really neat. Yeah. So the first recorded shipwreck in this area took place in 1526 at Hatteras Island. From this point forward, a deadly reputation would surround these islands. In the years following the end of the Civil War, it was the most disastrous time in terms of shipwrecks, and there are two in particular that are important. First, we have the wreck of the Huron, a Navy warship, and shortly after that was the loss of a passenger ship, the Metropolis. It was these losses that spurred the creation of year-round life-saving stations along the coast, which would go on to become the U.S. Coast Guard. Among the first people to man these stations were locals, people who were more familiar with the local weather and potential dangers, and could use their knowledge to help educate and train others. One of the busiest times in the graveyard's history was during World War II, when German U-boats lingered on the East Coast ready to attack. Their presence was part of Hitler's plan called Drumroll, which sought to disrupt merchant ships from delivering supplies. It was also during World War II that the area was given a new nickname, Torpedo Alley. While it's not the most badass name, it is an appropriate one, given how many U-boats and submarines sunk off the coast of North Carolina. The most intriguing story involves the sinking of the U-85, a German ship that lost a battle against the USS Roper. In the days that followed, nearly 30 bodies washed up on shore and were buried. The odd part is that some of the men were dressed in civilian clothing, carrying American identification. This encounter created its own legend, and locals say that sailors would come into town while off duty, we're assuming, to see a movie or catch dinner. The list of crashes in the graveyard of the Atlantic is lengthy, with estimates of the total number of wrecks totaling over a thousand. 
It's therefore unsurprising that there are stories of ghosts and ghost ships surrounding the area. Yeah, I wasn't surprised. Everything's haunted. Oh, yeah. The most famous is the ghost ship story is Carol A. Deering. Back in 1919, the ship set sail in 1920 for a round-trip excursion from Maine to Rio de Janeiro. That sounds like a pretty lit trip. Yeah. Records show that the ship made it to Rio, but something went wrong in the return ship. On the way back, a lookout spotted the ship and received a call saying that both anchors had been lost and asked to have the information relayed to the owners of the ship. And then, sometime after that, the ship just disappeared. It wasn't seen again until it surprisingly showed up stranded on a sandbar. What happened next is still just as weird as it was today as it was then. Uh, it could be in a, you know, a out-to-sea version of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Because what they found was that the lifeboats were gone. The ladder had been thrown over the side of the ship like people had been leaving. There were no personal belongings on board that were recovered. The anchors they reported missing were, in fact, gone, as was other navigational equipment and tools. And at some point, the steering gear had been disabled. It seemed completely deserted, and the only soul left on the ship was the six-toed cat. But the weird part is that the gallery had set been, had been set for a meal with food still on the table. So there's a few theories that have circulated about the demise of the Carol Deering mutiny, piracy, and abandonment. But I think it's probably a combination of those that would explain everything, except for why somebody left the poor polydactyl cat all by himself. Seriously. At least he had food. He needed a name. Yeah. Darn pirate cat the <laughs> pirate cat the most well-known or popular ghost of the graveyard of the atlantic is the story of the gray man a shipwreck survivor quote-unquote legend has it that he meanders the beaches and warns travelers of incoming storms Ooh. that's pretty cool that's a pretty common kind of yeah ghost story but perhaps the best mystery of all isn't what happened to the Huron or the Metropolis or the U-85 or the Carol Deering, but instead it's this. What happened to the lost colony of Roanoke? The city of Roanoke in Virginia is sometimes mistaken for Roanoke Island, which is where the colonists put down roots and then disappeared. It was back in 1587 when those colonists from England sailed to the Americas and there were 150 people that settled on the island. At some point after this, the leader of the group took a return trip back to England. A quick trip turned into three years, and by the time John White returned, his entire colony had disappeared. To this day, no one is sure exactly what happened on those last days at Roanoke Island and where the colonists went or what happened to them. The eerie loss remains such an intriguing historical topic that there have been books, shows, and movies based on the story of Roanoke Island. Most notably was a recent season of American Horror Story, the same name, Roanoke. Which was so creepy, I had to start watching it during the day. People hated on it, but I really enjoyed it. I'm not a fan of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s I'm not either. It's just not flying for me. But other than that, it's I find it very good. Mm-hmm. So what is it exactly that causes shipwrecks to be so common off the coast, off the coast of the Outer Bank? Much like the Bermuda Triangle, the graveyard of the Atlantic has some stuff going on under the water. Inside this area is something called the Diamond Shoals, which is 14 miles of sandbars that shift with the ocean currents. 
Ships that encounter the sandbar can be smashed, run aground, and even stranded in the middle of the ocean. At Hatteras Island, two underwater currents meet, one hot and one cold. And in addition to that, the combination of high and low pressure systems meeting makes the conditions inside this area the perfect situation for rough waves and really disastrous weather. Mm -hmm. And that's all without the occasional nor'easter or hurricane going through. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the Bermuda Triangle isn't a portal or a mystical black hole, but it does have some incredibly interesting natural phenomena going on, like the trenches that goes miles into the ocean floor and are home to wrecked boats and planes and probably some unique and crazy aquatic life. The reputation of the Michigan Triangle started off rough, what with that first colonist disappearing and all, but ended with some really intriguing history far older than we had initially assumed it would be. And last is the Graveyard of the Atlantic, a.k.a. Torpedo Alley, home to so many submarine ship and plane wreckages that you can still see them to this day. Some are visible right from the shore, while others can be visited via scuba diving. This week's episode was initially a set of three topics that were a bit out of our comfort zone. No arsenic, nothing from the Victorian area, no diseases. And it ended up being a really interesting research session. Ad history never fails to surprise and impress us. Yeah, I was surprised. I like this. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it had me thinking, because I just loved thinking about um, not necessarily the loss of the ships, but the loss of what was on those ships in terms mm-hmm. of treasures and the inventory that we'll never know of. And it got me to thinking, what is one thing lost to history that you would bring back if you could? Oh, gosh. I feel like I should have had time to prepare for that. I'm well, assuming I you a, have an answer. I made a list, but I think uh, I think I grabbed the wrong uh, notebook this time. So you have like basic things like you know the Roanoke Colony, um, the original copy of the painting. Um, sorry, the original painting of the crossing of the Delaware mm. was lost, and the one that's in a museum is a fake. Hmm. You have the Library of Alexandria, which isn't a sunken treasure but was lost to history yeah. so i think part of it's like how you interpret it yeah that's true and then you've got jimmy hoffa which i would love to know what happened to him hmm. happened to marilyn monroe is tupac really alive no, i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think i'd have to think about that that's a good question oh is this this might be the right one. Yeah, I was I was trying to make a list because there are a bunch of um, famous people's body parts that have gone missing throughout history. Um, JFK's brain is really? missing. Um, I think we have a finger bone of like Amadeus Mozart. Um, when, oh, this was one that I learned. And this would, this is a great one to broadcast because I had no idea that it was a thing. On the day of uh, September 11th, when the World Trade Towers were hit, there were other buildings in the area that were also ruined, and one of those was the National Helen Keller Center, and they lost almost all of their documents, which included oh, all really? the first edition books. Oh, and wow. All of her, all the handwritten letters, or... Um, all the letters from her to people and about her and everything that they had collected and amassed. Wow, that's and crazy. I, just, I had never even thought of that. Hmm. And then 
there's another loss from that same, I'm pulling it up in my brain, where we lost, I want to say, 40,000 slides of JFK as a president, hmm. 30,000 slides from Broadway plays. Lots of treasure that hmm. just I don't think is usually considered lost. Um, we lost the first 10,000 U.S. patent records in a fire. Hmm. We have lost six out of the eight poems of Troy. Spartacus apparently went missing. I did not know that. I loved the show. The show's not accurate. But yeah, apparently he just disappears, vanishes, huh. which I thought was really cool. We don't know what happened to the Alcatraz escapees. True. Um, we lost 97 episodes of classic Doctor Who. Really? Do you've never read about that? How the BBC went through and they, they like got rid of like a whole bunch of classic episodes. No, I don't remember that. Yeah. And they're just completely lost. Wow. Mitsubishi's, this is what I'm reading from my list. Mitsubishi's original 22 units were lost. So when they went to make a prototype or a model, um, they had to do it from memory because they didn't have one of the models to consult. And then one of the coolest that um, I might have mentioned to you before before recording was that really early on in his career, Steven Spielberg pieced together um, a short movie called Firelight, and he made two copies that he handed out to use as resumes, and he never got them back. Huh. And so we have no idea. They're probably destroyed. Probably. But that's one of his earliest works that Hmm. we'll never see. Dang. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Hmm. Do you have a favorite of those? I meant to have that more handy to... Probably that one. That's really intriguing. Steven Spielberg. The Steven Spielberg one, yeah. I just wonder, I mean, it was probably not the best thing he's ever done early on in his career, but it would be really interesting But to it's see. also the start of... Yeah, exactly. Who he is. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So, well, I think obviously my favorite one would be the Library of Alexandria, but it was lost to history yeah. in a different way, so it kind of seems, kind of seems like cheating. Yeah, it counts, though. I'm sure there are lots of historical artifacts that have gone missing throughout the years that I would probably pick, but out of that list, uh, Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) I just, there's so many theories. It would be great to know. So I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Mm -hmm. So thank you for tuning in. I didn't highlight my parts on here. Oh. If you missed last week's episode, don't forget to go back and catch up. We talked about roller coasters, Coney Island theme parks, and Dr. Cooney, a neonatology pioneer. And if you want more potties in our in your life, join us back here next Friday for our next episode. You want to give the spoiler? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the origin of the Heimlich Maneuver, the doctors that inspired the TV show MASH, mm-hmm. personal favorite, and this, oh my god, how do you say this again? Sign Oh, the CN Doe? CN Doe, CPR Doe. Yeah, really excited. That one's a really cool I'm story. I'm really excited to get back into some of the kind of gross medical mm-hmm. stuff. We're going to delve into death masks a little bit, which is really cool. Yeah. We talked about death masks very briefly in our episode where we talked about Burke and Hare during the dissection. Mm-hmm. They have a death mask of one and a life mask of the other. Mm-hmm. So, in the meantime... You can find us on social media. Mm-hmm. We have a Patreon group that we would love for you to join 
For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the Potatorium, which is like a little club for fans of the show. You get weekly episode posts, special content like extra audio clips and occasional giveaways. I have a couple of bloopers to post. We try and Mm -hmm. do one every week where we just do a warm up and we just talk about something and it gives you a way to get to know us because we usually talk about what we've been reading or stupid stuff pops in my head yeah yeah so if you want to find us on social media we're on instagram at an ode to the odd and twitter at potties underscore and facebook at potties yeah if you look for potties you might accidentally stumble on a cell phone accessory accessory company obviously that's not us but that's why that's why we need the underscore and everything and if you have a story to share or a topic request feel free to shoot us an email at our super awesome custom email address podities at an ode to the odd dot com and if you enjoyed this episode please consider referring the show to a friend or rating it on itunes podities is written researched and produced by us Meg McGibbon and And Kelly Ears. And until next time, seek out the strange and learn something new. Okay, we're going to exchange episode names. Yes. Last week's was good. It was entertaining. I came up with one really quick. This week was a little tough. It also took us a long time to figure out which one we wanted to pick because I ultimately went with yours because it was the funniest, but it had the least to do with the episode, so it was a little misleading. But it would make a great caw card, so I think Mm -hmm. it's okay. So you go ahead. Do you want to swap? No, because you said yours is like a song, right? You'll recognize it as soon as you'll see it. Okay. All right, you won last week, so... What? (coughs) Bermuda Triangle, ooh, I want a bagel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. Why would anybody sell seashells by the seashore? Go home, Sally. (laughs) Seriously, though, what a horrible business practice. And this is what I wrote the first time, because that's my brain. Why would anyone sell seashells by the seahorse? <laughs> <laughs> I read it, I was like, that's not no, right. No, I'm officially taking this one over the other. <laughs> I love this one better with the seahorse. You win, though. Oh, oh, my God. I couldn't. I kept trying to come up with a version <laughs> to rhyme it with the real music. But all I kept thinking of was bagel. So Bermuda Triangle. Ooh, I want a bagel. Winner. <laughs> Love it. We'll have to do the next verse for next time. We can talk about some cream cheese or something. Perfect. All right. So, out.